Good morning, church. Oh, oh we're, we're active. We're alive today. All right, let's go. Uh, my name is Pierce Miller. I'm the preaching intern. I uh, just wanted to wish you all a happy Independence Day. Uh, it's great to be up here again with you this week. Uh, and as I was thinking through this week, this word independence to me really encapsulates a lot of different people and a lot of different people come to mind. But one particular story that I can remember is I was at the store with a friend of mine and we were trying to just grab something and go because we had to, we were going to a get together and we were at the store and he's trying, we're trying to find this one item and I'm, I'm somebody that likes to get into the store and get out as fast as possible because I don't really think you need to spend a lot of time there. Uh, I, I'm ready to go. I, I want to leave this place and he is so caught up because we can't find this one item and he's stuck looking for it. I'm like, dude, let's just ask for help. Let's just ask somebody that works here. They're going to know exactly where it's going to be. And they were like, oh, we can find it. Well, I know it's here. I know it's like around here somewhere. And like, do you know somebody that thinks that they're that self-reliant and that is that independent on themselves that (laughs) they're unwilling to ask for help at the store because they think that they can do it all themselves. Or maybe it's somebody that you, (laughs) maybe it's somebody that you know and you were driving here this morning and you get lost and you have no idea where to go. But you refuse to look at your phone for help when there's a GPS right there. Uh, A character that encapsulates this really well, you, you can see it here, is Ron Swanson, if you're familiar with the show Parks and Recreation. Uh, He is a super independent, super self-reliant guy, only relies on himself, and just loves to be by himself and thinks he can do everything. And he's a woodworker, so he's at Lowe's here, and he's working on some project in the the show, and he's picking things up, and a Lowe's worker comes up to him and says, hey, is there anything I can help you with? What kind of project are you working on? And he looks him dead in the face and says, I know more than you. And then keeps walking, and the Lowe's, the Lowe's employees just left standing there like, oh my gosh, okay, kind of rude. But what we get to see this week is this, this characteristic encapsulates the way that Peter is, I think. And if you don't know, we're, we're going through a study right now of the life of Peter, and we're going through these decision points where he's getting to say, I'm in. I'm in to whatever Jesus is doing. And to set the scene, uh, we're going to be jumping around a lot in Scripture today, but the first place we're going to be is going to be in John 13. And what Jesus is doing in this spot, particularly, is he knows exactly what's going to happen. He knows that he's getting ready to be persecuted. He knows that he's getting ready to be taken to the temple courts. So he's telling the disciples a lot of different things. And one thing that he tells them is this. He says, love one another as I have loved you. By this, people will know that you're my disciples by the way that you love one another. And then he says, I'm going away for a long time and you'll be able to follow me after, but you can't follow me right now. I'm going and you won't be able to follow me. And he says this and Peter has this reaction to what he's saying. Peter said to him, Lord, why can I not follow you now? I will lay down my life for you. 
And what's so interesting about that is that Jesus had just told them a new commandment. And that was a really big deal. And Peter's response here has absolutely nothing to do with the command. It's only, Lord, how can I get to you? I'll lay down my life for you. You're so lucky to have me as a disciple. I'm ready to do anything that's necessary, and it's by my will, not anything that you're doing. So Peter here is being really self-reliant. He's being really Ron Swanson-esque here. And Jesus sees right through this. Jesus knows exactly what he's thinking. And he knows that he, he thinks... Oh, I'm sorry. Jesus knows that Peter thinks that he's all that at this point. And this is his response to that. Jesus answered him, Will you lay down your life for me? Truly, truly, I say to you, the rooster will not crow till you have denied me three times. Again, Jesus sees right through this. And on this night, Peter is going to go through a lot of transformation, a lot of change. We're going to go through a couple postures of what's going on in Peter. And the first posture is that he is completely reliant on himself. He's completely independent and thinks that he can earn his way to salvation or earn righteousness in the eyes of God. And so that's the first posture that Jesus or that Peter is going through. And so the question that I want to ask you is, do you find confidence in your own performance? Do you think that you can earn your way to Christ? Do you think that just by being here, you're making God happy? Or if you weren't here, or you're watching online, that you may be making God upset because you're not in the actual church building? Are those the kind of things that go through your mind? Do you think whether or not I read my Bible in the morning, I'm making God happy, or I'm not? And my question is, do you think that you're doing a really good job right now? Do you think that you're confident in your own performance? Because six days a week, this tends to work really, really well. Because our jobs, mostly, are all based on our performance. We go to work, whether we do our job and we do it well, we get a great job, a pat on the back, great performance. And that earns favor. Or if you're in school, do you earn grades and have a good performance and then you're affirmed that way? Is that something that goes through your mind? Whether or not you do your chores at home, whether or not you uh, take out the trash or do the laundry on time, does that earn you righteousness or does that earn you favor with your spouse or anyone that you're with? And so we do this six days a week. And it works so well. But the issue is, is when we bring that kind of mindset in here with our relationship with the Lord, and we think that our performance is what matters. We think that our performance is what earns righteousness here. And for Peter, that's what he was thinking. He thought, if I'm righteous, or if I do the right thing, if I'm a devout follower, if I say to the other disciples, or if I say in the presence of other disciples to Jesus, I will lay down my life for you, that that's going to earn righteousness with God. And Jesus sees right through this. 
Because that's how Judaism was set up in that time. Righteousness was gained by doing good works. You see, Israel had a terrible track record of disobeying God. And then that meant that they didn't have favor with God. So Peter, growing up, thought righteousness equals good deeds. Good deeds equal righteousness. If I do this, I have favor with God. So do you think that of your relationship with God? Because Jesus sees right through this and asks Peter, will you lay down your life for me? And the next place that we're going to be is in John 18, but all in one night, this does not seem to go Peter's way. Because Jesus is being arrested and he is being taken by uh, the Jews and uh, Roman soldiers. And as he is being taken away, Peter pulls out his sword and cuts off of one of the ears of the temple's servants. One of the high priest's servants, I'm sorry. And Jesus looks at him, Peter thinking all this time, I'm doing a righteous thing here. I'm standing up for Jesus. And Jesus looks at him and says, are you trying to take away the cup that the Father has given me? You see, Peter was even getting in his own way and in the way of Christ at that moment because he thought he was being righteous. And so they take Jesus and they bring him to the temple court where he's going to be tried for something that he didn't do. And Peter follows him. And he's standing at the enemy's gate. And he's warming himself by some fire with people all around him that dislike Jesus. People that think that Jesus is crazy. And this is the interaction that we get. A servant girl at the door said to Peter, you also are not with this man, one of this man's disciples, are you? He said, I am not. That's the first denial right there from Peter. Now Simon Peter was standing and warming himself, and, said, and they said to him, You also are not one of these man's disciples, are you? He denied it and said, I am not. One of the servants at the high priest, a relative of the man whose, Peter, whose ear Peter had cut off, asked, Did I not see you in the garden with him? Peter again denied it, and at once a rooster crowed. You see, Jesus knew exactly what was happening. But in another account, in Luke's account of this story, we hear, or we see that Jesus actually makes eye contact with Peter as he's denying him for the third time. And I want you to imagine for just a moment the expression on Jesus' face. It's not a, I told you so. It's not a finger wag. But it's just immense sadness. Because Jesus knew exactly what Peter was going to do, but yet it still saddened him. And it says in Luke's account that Peter went away weeping. And that would be the last memory that Peter had with Jesus until he had died. That was their last interaction, this look of sadness. And so Peter came from feeling so confident 
in his own performance. Saying that he would lay down his life for Jesus. And it only took a few hours until he had denied him. That performance that Peter thought he was putting on was completely negated. In the eyes of Peter, he was now seen as unrighteous. The thoughts that are going through his head are things like, I'm now on the outside looking in. There's no way that Christ will ever forgive me for this. He knew I was going to do it, and yet I still did it. And now he's just filled with guilt and shame. And you see, this is the second posture that we see from Peter. He has a realization of an inadequate self. He realizes that he is completely inadequate. What he brings to the table means nothing at this point. Because he was relying on his own performance. He was relying on himself. And look where that got him. Weeping. And a saddened look from Jesus. And so my question for you is do you think that you're too far gone for God to forgive or to use you? Are there moments in your life where you were depending on your own performance and you failed? You failed miserably at that. Maybe it was a victory over sin for many years and it only took that one time being by yourself again that you fell utterly back into it after years of victory over it. And you let your guard down for just a moment and you fail. Or maybe you think, I had an abortion and that disqualifies me from the forgiveness of what God offers. Or there's no way that God can use my story based on my past. Because that's what Peter is feeling at this moment. He thinks there's no way that he can be made right again. And thanks be to God that Jesus died on a cross, but not only that, but rose again. And he is appearing to the disciples. And he's appeared to the disciples at least one other time before this. But Peter's still feeling the weight of his sin. He's still feeling like an utter failure because he was depending on himself. And you have to think that there's some kind of elephant in the room. You have to think in the back of Peter's mind is, it's only a matter of time until he casts me out. He's risen and beaten death, but I still failed him. And in some way, shape, or form, I'm not going to be used for his purposes anymore. And so Jesus appears to the disciples one other time, and it's while they're out fishing. And Jesus, on the shore, they don't realize it's him. And he, Jesus tells them from, from afar, he says, throw your nets over the other side and see if you can catch anything. And they bring in more fish than they can possibly dream of. 153 is the exact number. But then Peter, realizing that it's Jesus, jumps out of the boat with these same thoughts in the back of his mind. Maybe if I run to him again, I can earn favor with him. He sees that I jumped out of the boat again. He sees that I love him. And Jesus sits all of them down and has breakfast with them. And again, there's still that elephant in the room 
the, the problem hasn't been addressed. And Jesus looks at Simon Peter. This is in John 21. The exact reference. Is that on the... It is not. It's John 21, verse 15. It says this. Simon, son of John, do you love me more than these? And he said to him, Yes, Lord, you know that I love you. He said to him, Feed my lambs. And he said to him a second time, Simon, son of John, do you love me? And he said to him, Yes, Lord, you know that I love you. And he said to him, Tend to my sheep. And he said to him a third time, Simon, son of John, do you love me? And Peter was grieved because he had said to him a third time, Do you love me? Lord, you know everything. You know that I love you. And Jesus said to him, Feed my sheep. What Jesus has done here is radical. Because he had just as easily could have cast Peter out. And in Peter's mind, that's what he's thinking he's going to do. But in this moment, Jesus restores Peter. He brings him into right relationship with him. And that's something that he offers us each and every day. Jesus offers a restored self. That's something that he offers for you and for me each and every single day. And what does it mean to be restored exactly? Each and everything that I'm about to say has been answered by the cross and his death and burial and resurrection. So the first thing that Jesus does in restoring Peter is he acknowledges this. He acknowledges what's going on. He acknowledges Peter's past. He acknowledges his former sin. And that's something he offers for you and I too. You see, there would have been no reason for Jesus to come and die on a cross if sin didn't hurt him, if it didn't mean so much to God, but it does, because he's an eternal being, one that is all good and all knowing. And Peter acknowledges that. He says, Lord, you know everything. So Jesus doesn't stop in restoring Peter by just acknowledging his past, but he forgives him. He forgives his sin. He forgives Peter for everything that he had ever done and anything that he would do. And he offers that same invitation to you. He forgives those who acknowledge their sin. And he doesn't stop there. Restoration is more than just acknowledgement of past and forgiveness. But he loves us in spite of our past. You see, the things that go through our heads each and every day, we think, man, there's, it's so good that nobody ever fully knows me. Because if somebody knew what I was thinking and had access to those thoughts every single day of my life, man, I wouldn't have a single friend in the world. Because the things that go through my head or the actions that I do or the way that I talk to somebody in private it grieves God, and He forgives us of that. But He loves us in spite of that. A radical love that brings us back into Him. And finally, 
Jesus doesn't just stop there in restoring us through acknowledgement, through forgiveness, through love. But He gives us purpose again. You see, each and every time that Peter responded, yes, Lord, You know that I love You. You know everything. You know that I love You. Jesus says to him something. He gives him a commandment. One that's eerily similar to the one that we saw in John 13. Feed my lambs. Tend to my sheep. Feed my sheep. What does that mean exactly? It means to love one another. It means to love those that are unlovable, just as Christ loves those that are unlovable. Christ has restored us through His death, through His burial, and through His resurrection. And that's something that He offers to each and every one of us. Because this is not something that you earn your way to. This is not something where your performance matters. But Christ's performance was absolutely perfect in our place. And His performance is what matters. There's a quote that I want to read really quick that I think encapsulates this really well. This is Charles Spurgeon. He says, Since our good works did not win God's affection, bad works cannot sever that affection. There is nothing that keeps you from the love of Christ. If you think that you can run further than the way that He loves you, think again. Because Christ's love is inescapable. Nor height, nor depth, nor angels, nor demons can keep you from the love of Christ. And He has offered that to us. He has offered to restore us, to bring us back into right relationship with Him, just as He has done with Peter this whole time. You see, Peter was completely relying on himself and then had a realization, I am completely inadequate. And Jesus said, I am adequate for you. And so the I'm in challenge for this week is a prayer. And I want to start, I'll just read this whole thing first. It says, Lord, thank you for restoring me. How can I feed your sheep this week? And so when you're praying, I would hope that you would wake up in the morning and pray this. See, the first part of that really enacts a lot of gratitude in us. Because when we acknowledge that Christ restored us, that brings us to a really humble place. Because that's not something that he had to do, but he wanted to do. And he loves us enough to do that. And so from out of this radical love and lavish of purpose given back to us, ask this question, how can I feed your sheep this week? How can I love that person that feels unlovable? How can I love myself in a way that is glorifying to you? in a way that knows me fully as I know myself fully, and yet you love me all the same? How can I be that for somebody else? How can I show the love of Christ this week? So that's my prayer for us this week, and I hope that you can pray that. Let's pray. Lord, thank you for restoring us, for being somebody that wants to have a relationship with us, and you did it Lord, not from afar, but you did it from up close. You chose to came into the, come into the chaos. And you restored us through your life, 
and through your death, your burial and resurrection. God, thank you for restoring us because it brings us to a humble place because it's not something that we could have done our own. So Lord, humble us this week if we feel like we can do it by ourselves. Lord, humble us and let us know that you are the one that restores us. And Lord, for the person out there that is beating themselves up over something that you've already died for, something that you've already said it is finished for, God, just allow us to know that you have restored us and it's only something that you could do. And I pray these things in your son's name. Amen. I'm going to be down front. Some of our shepherds will be here as well as we have an invitation time, but thank you all for being here.